0: Greetings and welcome to the Mount Rushmore Podcast. My name is Jeff and I'm joined as always by my good friends Richard. Hello. And Michael. Howdy. Richard and Michael, they debate and deliberate the most ubiquitous aspects of any given topic. And this week is no different in that they are debating the Mount Rushmore of magic in movies. But it is different in that abracadabra we have a uh, magical guest in the house. This is... Christian Fitzharris, how are you, sir? Doing very well. Great to be here. Oh, it's great to have you. Uh, Do you mind if I regale our audience with a quick primer in some of the things that you were interested in?
1: Fantastic. Yeah. Okay.
0: (laughs) Christian Fitzharris. Yeah, this is a flavor, a mousse bouche, of the things he's he's into. Uh, Magic. He's a mentor on the number one online site, Inside Deception juggling esoteric western mystery traditions neuralistic programming cults and religions Uh, he's got over two decades of making hip-hop is a certified sommelier a mnemonist and a clown so this is pretty awesome to have you here christian thank you so much for joining us great to be here uh so you are also a uh a hip-hop uh creator and you have a persona named scholar and i got to see i had the privilege of delving into some of your videos um uh and youtube you have a, a channel i think it's youtube.com forward slash christian Fitzharris. um mm-hmm. but uh oh, this is also a place where it seems like you can kind of point your um hip-hop brain and poetic brain at just about any given topic so uh um tell us tell us how you got into hip-hop before we get into magic sure no problem uh the hip-hop started
1: off well I came up at the perfect age to be interested in hip hop and growing up in the Bay Area, uh, Silicon Valley, Santa Clara, California, to be specific, uh, during the 1980s into the 90s. uh, But mostly the 1980s was a very good time for hip hop in general, but also for being in the Bay Area, where you had access to everybody in Berkeley and Oakland and San Francisco and the Bay Area hip hop scene so it was really just something that happened organically when mtv came out and instead of hearing um some music video that was uh, a rock song i heard run dmc and wondered how do they perform this mysticism with their voices (laughs) i i heard rhyming and uh, i was very confused and there were gold chains and black (laughs) outfits and i was very i was very interested and enthralled and from that point on i have never stopped being enthralled uh with the entire um thing so then later on i wanted to be able to access since i was such a fan for so long of all hip-hop songs i started to introduce myself to new artists that were more abstract and interesting like cool keith and uh and rock him and all this and, and these old school kind of artists. And from there, I realized that Cool Keith was rapping about things that didn't make sense to anyone. Uh, so I might as well make sense to a small portion of the population with things that I'm interested in that are fairly uh, eccentric and esoteric. So that's what I did. I started putting all of my interests that were weird and only a- appealed to a very small part of the population into a hip hop format. And thus uh, the early days were born actually uh, 30 years ago now that we're in 2021. So that's how it all started, which led to me and my hip hop experience then led to me being in uh, cast in the movie sister act two as the class nerd as well.
0: So it all <laughs> oh, kind of, it kind of goes off from there. I was going to get to that, but that's a uh, really exciting. So that was 93 uh, and then you uh, we don't, I haven't, Said this yet, but as part of your clowning uh, uh, CV, there's also um, uh, creating a character and performing in the Cirque du Soleil Cousa. Um And what year was that? And what was that experience like?
1: Sure, Cirque du Soleil was uh, 2007 when we uh, when we came out with a show. It was called Cousa, Kooza, K O O Z A, and I created, I co created the two clown acts that are in that show uh, that have been touring. North, uh, not North America, the entire globe, but it started off in North America and Canada uh, in 2007. And then I toured with the show that we created uh, for five years before uh, disappearing about a decade ago.
0: Wow, Uh, I love your uh, very nomadic, but yet um, uh, um, exciting and engaged and artistic uh, journey that you've been on, that's super cool. That's probably an understatement of the year. But um,
2: uh, (laughs) Christian, you appear to be the ideal um, person that you randomly talk to at a party. (laughs) (laughs) Because literally any type of person could just run into you and just uh, fall into a conversation about anything random, and it would just be like, oh, holy crap! There's this guy that what's he into? Oh, clowning. What's he into? Magic. What's he into? Oh, he was in Sister Act too. What's he into? It's just uh, hip hop. What's he into? It's just everything. You just you're you're like a you're like a walking bingo card. I've I've been, it's great.
1: Thank you very much for saying that. It's very funny because I've had actual people that I've uh, uh, worked with and different jobs for a while that said, you know what, me and my friend over here, we looked you up last night online because we were thinking, what if he was just (laughs) like the guy who makes up a bunch of stories about his life and he actually (laughs) never done any of those things? We went down the rabbit hole for about an hour. And, oh my God! Everything you said was real. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that's a, like I mean like that's that's the, true too. You, yeah, you could be just a psychopath. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's really I was, good at the internet.
1: When they pointed that out, I was thinking that's so funny because I don't think that way. Um, Having been in show business for so long, I don't think of the the new world, which is like the Instagram rapper. The you can be whatever you want, as long as you have the right pictures on your on your profile page. Uh, I don't mm-hmm. think that way. And so now uh, I, I feel like now because those people have made me aware of it, I feel like I am lying in some way about no, 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 this really happened. They're like, oh, either that's a lie or you're like the entertainment us Gump. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, I like- it's all real, though.
0: You're, you're the uh, verbal Kent, and we we realize that, oh, no, he is the Kaiser. He is Kaiser Sose after
1: all. It's been a fun ride.
0: Yeah. Um, well, at halftime, we can also talk about uh, where people can learn more about your career. Uh, you also have uh, interests that lead you into the world of uh, being a certified sommelier. So I'm sure there's some more fun stuff to share about that. But I, we should probably get into the topic, Yeah. Um, which you are likely more expert upon the uh, realm of stage magic and performing magic. Um, I hope these guys can give you a challenge when it comes to the world of magic and film, Uh, at least uh, um, they can take a stab at it. So, um, but you are our guest Christian. So you go first. So we are discussing the Mount Rushmore of magic in movies. So what was the first topic you wanted to tackle?
1: Excellent. Well, the movie, and this is, I, I will throw this out here and I'll give everybody the option of of debating it because my number one was something that after I thought about it a little bit, which is what's interesting about the format of, of your great show here is once you start to analyze these things, you start to realize, wait a minute, do I like this for a reason that's not to do with what I'm actually looking at? I thought it was. And that has to do with the my number one magic film or you know fantasy magic film was The Matrix. Which really is a simulation of computers, even though I've interpreted it my entire life as magic, where someone learns skills through a a system. But in fact, it might be just the simulation and a computer. So that's debatable. So I made a shifting number one (laughs) based on... uh, Based on that, but but uh, if I was going to stick with my my basis of the Matrix, and I do believe that my choices will be things that none of none of you, I will be refreshed if anybody uh, uh says anything which I'm going to say. But um, my number one is the Matrix from uh, the 1999 film because it it feels like magic throughout. It has philosophical systems. It has all of the systems of actually going through. a um, a Gnostic system where you have to experience every single portion in order for it to be, uh, to fully culminate in the direction you're headed. Uh, Meaning Neo could not move forward in the matrix until he learned how to breathe, how to jump, all of the things that you are learning when you are practicing with your astral body in an esoteric uh, Western mystery tradition system. Or (laughs) again, the problem is, or is it because you're in a computer system? (laughs) <laughs> so here we are in the real life simulation of hill where we, <laughs> is it magic? Is it a simulation? And is a simulation actually magic? We're going to get too deep too early, mm. I think mm. on, on this, but I think it's debatable, but my number one is the matrix. uh, Unless I am pushed off this Mount Rushmore cliff and then, and then have to pull uh, a life.
0: I love that choice uh, for me. If it's, uh if we applied kind of the field test to it the characters the other characters they're in the same simulation that he is and they all see what he does as magic in it uh, or they respond to it with the ooh and ah that one would uh have when they are seeing magic being performed um
1: and there's um, even spoon bending
0: yeah totally <laughs> randy would have a field day right yeah uh so, guys, what do you? Does your BSometer go off, or do we feel like that's uh, very much magic?
3: Well, I don't know what is magic but science that you haven't proven yet.
0: Well, you know it's funny that the Christian had a very compelling kind of definition of what falls into magic. Christian, where do you grab that uh, de- de- definition that you, you shared with us?
1: Oh, the definition of magic being one. Um, well, originally, the way it was re-termed in the early 1900s was magic was. Uh, Um, The Science and Art of Causing Change in Conformity with Will. So uh, this goes into the sort of uh, New Age realm of setting intentions. But before there was called a New Age, there was practices by mystery schools and the ancient Rosicrucian mystery schools, as well as some mystic Christianity uh, that would be You focusing on specific things, manifesting them in your life or focusing on uh, fire and you feel hotter and you're able to dry your body off out of the shower from just the focus of your energy. You know, an initiatory system that would lead you through seeing a bunch of random symbols and and markings that would be and teach you even how to speak a new language. After all, the grimoire is just grammar. So if you're looking at magic and English, you are speaking spells, which is your spelling and your grammar is your grimoire of which you're pulling. So I'm going to some of the classical contexts of of magic as it was practiced in the early um, Western mystery tradition.
0: Well, okay, all right, man. That's super cool (laughs) to have that context. So uh, let's turn it over to uh, our friends, Richard and Michael.
3: All right. So we, there was a lot that we could choose from. This is obviously a very, as you, as you said, it's definitely a broader topic than what we had thought of at one point. Um, so Michael and I came up with some categories as is our want, whenever we have a really large topic, <coughs> excuse me, edit that out. Um, so we went into categories as is our want. And so our four categories are magical books Magical spells, magical objects, and dark magic, and so for the first one with magical books, I am uh, going to talk about the Necronomicon Ex Mortis, as seen throughout the Evil Dead trilogy. Oh, fun! Yeah, I you know I just love this idea of this of them inserting this book from noted racist H. P. Lovecraft's um, world into their world and it kind of con- ter- continues this tradition of authors and playwrights and filmmakers, including the necron- Necronomicon as part of their world, as if it's an actual book that they're, that they're drawing from as a source. And I think that that's just that, that part is fascinating to me. Um, obviously, I love the fact that this same book continues to be devil and be the source of Ashes torment throughout the series, whether it's directly or kind of indirectly with him not being able to recite the uh, cr- the final phrase correctly. And of course, the final phrase being from the day the earth stood still.
0: Oh, is that right? <laughs> yeah, that's the uh, phrase that Flatoo the robot- brought on Nick too, or...
3: Yeah, that's the phrase that the robot comes out and says. <laughs> um, so there's just a lot of neat little hidden messages and things in it. Um, and I just love this idea that that there's this book, like I said, that just throughout this interlocked trilogy, that just continues to be a pain in the ass for this one poor guy. Mm-hmm.
0: Yes, I I would also say that is given so much balance the the um, the the powers of this book and its its uh, occultish power and is given so much balance by Sam Raimi's penchant for uh putting ash through these perfectly slapstick three stooges moments so there, there's right. kind of countered uh this the import is kind of countered with this this guy whose face is just made to be bashed by two by four and uh just yeah just and often, like often, the, often the book directly leads
3: to that and again the fact that the Necronomicon was this invention of H.P. Lovecraft, mm-hmm. this this book that was created for his works, um, has this rich history of, of people, you know, a Yale student created a library card for it and snuck it into the, lab- the Yale Library uh, <laughs> uh, collection of, uh, you know, the old book cards. And there's this whole history of kind of, people taking it as a real book, like there really was something called the Necronomicon that H.P. Lovecraft was drawing from. So then you've got other artists who then went ahead and kind of continued that tradition. Mm-hmm. And to your point, I think it's great that that this very serious sort of, you know, Lovecraft, you know, you think Lovecraftian, you don't necessarily think comedy, but yet here's this direct connection to, like you said, this sort of Three Stooges slapstick that kind of pops up in these, the middle of these evil dead movies.
1: And there's yeah. versions still coming out all the time of, of the Necronomicon, of the validity of the Necronomicon. Um, I purchased a, a copy of a paperback copy of the Necronomicon in 1991. Uh, I was, actually, I was trying to purchase it, and the person in the bookstore said, no, you can't. What? <laughs> a very evil book. <laughs> And I said, um, OK, I'll come back when you're not here. And, uh, and so I did and came back and purchased uh, the Necronomicon paperback and read it and went, oh, OK, well, this guy, Abdul Al Hazrid, really knows what's up. And, um, time to go back on my lunch break and eat some ho-hos. And, um, and so uh, I thought it was very interesting over the years. The study of and seeing the its our origination, and seeing that even when you search for it now, you'll see new copies, new uh, translations have finally been unearthed from possibly Go Beckley, Go Beckley Tepe Tepe.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome.
2: <laughs> what, I, what I think is interesting, wait, Jeff, what I think is interesting about like the spell books in movies in general, and it's really hard to just kind of nail down one is that there's like this duality to it. It's that there is, um, this knowledge that, uh, someone, a magician is passing along to someone else, that there is like this relationship between uh, a mentor and a student, but then also that there's just like, there's too much magic to know. So you have to write it down. And it's, it's almost like that scene in, um, um, in Indiana Jones and the last crusade, when like Indiana is like angry at his dad for having written all that stuff down in the grail diary. So he didn't have to remember it. He just had it. So he could always refer back to it. And I think, I think spell books are like that. They're this, this like, Oh, I need to teach the next generation. But at the same time, ah, it's too much information. I'll just write it down. It's there. Someone else will, I can get, (laughs) I can get back to it later.
0: Can I ask you Christian as a um, performer of magic, is there a connection that you feel when you see magic happening in in a in a fantasy story? Is there some kind of connection that you draw between this ceremony that happens in a form of entertainment in in the world that we inhabit, and then uh, what you see on screen in these fantasy worlds?
1: Yeah, the the it's a direct correlation because every magician who we can name was just trying to be that fantasy uh, from the beginning of time, was trying to be that fantasy movie or fantasy character mm-hmm. from the beginning of time. and it's all different takes on the same one. So and and it's been it's it's been since the inception of like the fool or the jester or the uh, the the fool or the jester in the ancient tribes telling a story and performing a trick with some rocks and a stick. It's the same way unto generation unto generation and that's one of the things that makes it grow so well is we all have this the only reason you've ever created a magic trick if you're a david uh, copperfield or david blaine is because of the fact that you want that idea that string of storyline to be real i mean even uh, last year david blaine's As- ascension was his dream that one day he could just grab a bunch of balloons like they do in a, bo- a book or a movie and take off and fly through the sky.
0: And then he did. Oh, wow. That's super cool. That's a really interesting connection. I never really thought of it like that. So, um, uh, Mr. Fitzharris, what is your second choice?
1: Uh, my second choice, is like well, let's look at it because it got so confusing here. Oh, right. That's right. The original the craft the
2: craft. <laughs> also. Now,
1: the craft the craft was a 1996 movie also, that, also also on our
2: yeah also on our list by the way oh cool oh good uh the, the craft
1: was a 1996 movie according to the last source even though you turn a page and then it's a year later um uh with nev campbell and feruza balk which is funny because you know then they form a band off of her name um which you might know more about that than I do, but that's one of my favorite actual magic. That was a confident choice. It's one of my favorite movies. Um, it has a lot of the, the tarot cards that are in the store, the same ones that you were using as a, an occultist or a practitioner of Wicca or a tarot reader. You got to see a lot of the actual things that people in real life are using in the mystery tradition or the psychic world. And so there was a basis of that with the fantasy and the ability for magic to get out of control. Um, so that's still one of my favorite movies overall as just, you know, put it on the, in the background and have it going. And I just found out that there was a, there was a new one released. So I look forward to getting disappointed by that.
0: (laughs) What drew you to the craft, uh, Richard and Michael?
2: Well, for me, I, um, I think that there is, you know, this fell under our kind of dark arts, black magic category. And um, I think I'm intrigued by uh, magic gone wrong, or magic having these like dire consequences. Usually magic is used to um, kind of be a shortcut at times, as as displayed in movies, but in the craft, there's like just this, there's this revenge angle that isn't, mm, you know, the movie's about these four um, girls in high school who kind of are all these uh, outcasts for various reasons, whether they're ethnicity or um, kind of their uh, physical appearance or they're new to school or in uh, Fruza Balk's case, um, her character, Nancy, she's just like the psycho hillbilly, um, you know, ideal uh, person that like, um, that, uh, oh, what's his name? Rob Zombie would be like into at some point um but there are these characters that are like out for some sort of um revenge against those who have done wrong to them and of course it comes back to bite them all and uh, i think that is very intriguing when i'm um, talking about magic is that there's like this otherworldly power you can tap into but if you don't respect it um whatever it is comes back to get you and um it kind of does to all of the girls except for um sarah the main girl who uh kind of sees past the dark ways and um gets past it and really embraces like whatever the truth of uh what is it mammon or whatever the whatever the magical yeah that's right. is and um i i think that's i think this movie just captures that sort of revenge fantasy um really well as well as just showing fun fun cool
1: and if all magic you had chicks, to do was- steal a book from a bookstore then you can do all this i mean that's pretty pretty enticing
0: yeah you know this uh much reviled wonder woman 84 Mm -hmm. shows shows the darker side of wish fulfillment and a thinking of a wish as being somewhat of like a magic spell or a uh, incantation that is has some importance behind it and it is a ancient crystal or something that uh Um, weaponizes their wishes in this film and then it's every DC comic is really this moralistic tale with um, a comeuppance at the end and I wonder Christian do you find it common in these tales of of uh magic that the misuse of magic has a related punishment
1: oh yeah and and that and that comes from the actual um tradition of you know, the warnings that were given you from the beginning of time. You can use this power, but with that power comes great responsibility. And so uh, even people who are performing Western uh, magical traditions who are, you know, performing ceremonies of purification and energy workings and, and all of this using their chakras. And if they ever do anything that's called white magic or they, they send a purpose out into the world, they at the end do something that's called a release, where they say, "I now release any spirits that have been imprisoned by this ceremony, go back to thine own abodes." So there is, in actual practice, from the the so-called magic community, uh, this practice. And I mean, we can all go back to the uh, to Fantasia, right, and see how those brooms get totally out of control. <laughs> They
0: totally do. I mean, or sure. (laughs)
1: Consequences (laughs) are grave with books, Necronomicons and brooms. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's a fun uh, tie in uh, that, uh, you know, Sam Bramey was just kind of ripping off Walt Disney there, right there. Um, There is a, so we are at our halftime right now. And I just want to um, remind people that they have the opportunity to uh, go out and download rate and review past episodes of the Mount Rushmore podcast uh, on any place where you get podcasts and the rate and review part would be really helpful for us because we have a dialogue ongoing via Instagram, Twitter, uh, and Facebook with our uh, listeners. Um, But we love more information. We love to find out what you like, uh, which you go, meh, I don't know. I don't know what we like. Uh, We love this Christian Fitzharris guy, more guys like him, please. Um, Or uh, don't, don't do these other subjects that you do. They're really boring. So we would love any kind of information you can give us about that. Um, you know, we're talking about magic and there's a trick, you know, where you pull a rabbit out of a hat and that's this magic, but there's also this trick in real life where you put wine into a bottle, you put spirits into a glass uh, uh, encasement and Uh, As a sommelier Christian, do you find that there is a lot of alchemy and magic in in that field? Absolutely. You have,
1: uh, in the wine world specifically, you have, like you said, the the literal putting of a spirit into a bottle, which people then imbibe as if a potion that gives you life circulation and... uh, (laughs) the lubrication of the tongue which comes forth and is able to let you talk forever about passionate projects and, and perhaps incite the heart to getting into fights uh, in a number of different ways. <laughs> but in addition to that, uh, most basic level of, of the wine world, you have a rich history that comes from the geography, the, the climate. You, you are literally taking things that you've planted, seeds that you've planted, they grow they they grow under sudden light. They grow uh, due to the rain, uh, the diurnal shifts, the the everything, everything the 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 actual soil or terroir is all pulled into the process. So that when you taste the wine, you can actually uh, as a sommelier, you can quantify what it is, and you can say, well, this is obviously a Washington. Uh, Pinot or Washington Cabernet because of X, Y, and Z that comes from the climate, or this is a Cabernet from Napa Valley because it's more sunny. So you have actual, in addition to that, you have the art, you have the culture, you have everything uh, that humanity has built into it, into this grape and then offered to people as a potion that they can partake in. So it's uh, a far and wide ranging topic that kind of gets real deep, real quick, um, unless you're just
0: at a party trying to, you know, unleash the spirit. <laughs> Wait, so uh, this <laughs> information earlier on, you're talking about a, a website that I thought had the word bottle in it.
1: Is that right? Yes. My uh, my website is bottleburner.com. What, what can people find there? Uh, usually, it's uh, performances that I've done. Recent, I'm very active in the online uh, musical performance community, doing poetry and uh, esoteric hip hop, like everyone these days. And um, <laughs> and in addition to that, I've posted a lot of different uh, things I've written for wine writing contests, uh, music videos for my for my uh, my scholar personality which is mostly literary or magical esoteric material Um, in addition to that there's some stuff from Clowning and Cirque du Soleil on there so it's basically a hub of of a polymath vaudevillian oh that's super cool Uh, let us know the uh, website again and is it spelled any weird way I I learned when I took on the the hip-hop moniker Scholar to spell it traditionally. Otherwise, people get really confused why someone named Scholar couldn't spell his own name. So I spelled (laughs) (laughs) BottleBurner.com as B-O-T-T-L-E-B-U-R-N-E-R.com.
0: Cool. Awesome. Awesome. All right. So uh, why don't we move on? Uh, We have uh, the third choice coming from Christian.
1: So my third choice was also a debatable choice because like he said this is such a wide-ranging topic but my solid third choice uh, which may seem weird in the in hindsight is the ninth gate the ninth gate from 1999 directed by uh, Roman Polanski starring Johnny Depp uh, after I've watched this hundreds upon hundreds if not thousands of times enjoying the dark art <laughs> aspect of it and it wasn't until preparing for this podcast that I realized, wait, this movie's just about a Satanist who kills a bunch of people. <laughs> <laughs> so in hindsight, I go, is this a magic movie? <laughs> because even though it's been a magic movie for me for over twenty years, upon reflection, I go, wow, didn't see that coming. I was so excited about the satanic references and the the uh, occult community that was involved that goes generation unto generation in the lands of france and i hadn't realized that it's not actually too much it's mostly murder that you don't see <laughs> 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 so, so uh, begrudgingly i stick with my choice as the ninth gate even though i realize that it's not necessarily as magical as i had thought uh, in 1999 and until yesterday
0: oh so the whole roman polanski thing didn't scare you off it's the uh it's the murder.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I've already adapted to Rosemary's Baby, and then okay. uh, and and I I have a personal and and if it didn't scare me off, uh, I don't know who it wouldn't scare off because my my paycheck is actually designated by what Whoopi Goldberg says on The View. Oh, so that's funny. <laughs> and she has a, a famous quote regarding uh, banning him and and uh, 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 you know and. It, Controversial statements regarding Roman Polanski, which then every uh, large portion of the population said we shouldn't watch her movies anymore. So I, uh, I still like the movie in spite of the fact that it might may or may not be affecting my actual income every six months.
0: Hmm, hmm. So uh, let me ask you this: so in and some of our earlier discussion or pre pre show discussion uh, brought up the fact you were you've been an occultist for. You were also on. Boy, Sister Act Two is on Disney Plus now, so um, that's where uh, all the hippocultists appear. Yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> occultists. What is something people may assume or maybe not understand about someone who calls himself an occultist?
1: Well, number one, there's not very many business cards um, <laughs> for occultism. So,
0: um, yeah, or the Hallmark section is limited.
1: Yeah, yeah. So occult not means the unknown so what people may not know is that occult means the unknown so if you were to take things very literally uh, the occult is what is unknown and trying to be proved or may not be proved down the line Um, but it's usually something that commonly in pop culture is affiliated with something dark uh, ominous i mean that's part of its attraction as well so we can't you know have one without the other so occultism is the study or the interest of things that may seem to be clouded and dark and shady. Uh, while at the same time, you might study those things and find out, well, this is just memorizing some names and visualizing colors. It can all be broken down to a very basic thing. So it's very individual how people interpret these things. But there is a a shroud of mystery and possible sinister things, just as we were talking about the Necronomicon uh, is something that is considered very sinister, even though created by a, a literary giant.
0: Ah, okay. Yeah, it seems also the occult, without the occult, we would not have so many awesome album covers uh, from, from many decades of popular music. Right? yeah. <laughs> okay, uh, Richard and Michael, what is your third choice? All
3: right, so our third choice is the magical object category, and it is the uh, sorcerer's hat. From uh, the previously mentioned Fantasia, and oh, right the sorcerer's apprentice cool. Uh, short, cool segment, whatever you want to call it. Um, it you know, I just love this idea that the magic to some extent comes from the clothes. It's a very literal sort of representation of do the clothes make the man? in this case, did the clothes make the sorcerer? And this idea that Mickey, as the sorcerer's apprentice, can, by putting on the hat, suddenly have these powers that the actual sorcerer has, albeit not with the ability to control it fully. Um, And that's sort of what makes the difference between someone who is a sorcerer versus an apprentice. And I think that that's just, you know, we have these movies and, and lore about wands and you know you know harry potter with the elder wand and that's one thing that you know we we could talk about or you know there's this idea that does the magic come from the person does it come from these objects is it a combination of the two and you know obviously i think that it's look it's an incredibly charming one of the most charming pieces of animation ever you know ever constructed and we could talk about that as well but i love I just love this idea that you know. The 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 like I said, the clothes kinda do make the sorcerer in this case.
0: Yeah. That's cool. I think you even think in the most kind of cuddly charming way, you know, we just uh got through kind of the the Christmas season and Frosted the Snowman has a, a hat <laughs> in it that brings uh three balls of ice to life. Um yeah. to entertain some kids. So yeah.
1: And this is like you mentioned earlier, Jeff, with the um, with the uh, where the crossover between prestidigitation magic and the fantasy magic kind of come into play. Because magicians, this has been a classic. I mean, the objects imbuing supernatural power is a wellspring of magic material for everyone, and 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 that's what's so interesting much like a ventriloquist will make a a lifeless puppet come to life and it's a weird thing to deconstruct and think about but ventriloquism is really a guy who wants to talk to himself and then he uses a puppet and then makes it look interesting and charming and in the end we start to believe in the magic of the puppet and just the same in 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 the magic community, when you're performing, you know, like David Copperfield or anything, you can say, "I have here my grand." It's always my grandmother's, ancient <laughs> item, which is warm <laughs> and wonderful. And uh, <laughs> that's the closing of every, having performed in Las Vegas for five years. Uh, <laughs> that's the ending of every magic show. Is my grandmother gave me this wonderful, blank, and <laughs> It made this happen and then all the snow falls from the sky and everybody laughs as the motivating music comes on. But it is one of the more powerful things that the practicing sleight of hand artist and magician have is to take the skill of which they've spent years mastering and then give credit to some inanimate object and go, this is (laughs) my magical ring, which does incredible things that it only took me
0: three years to learn. <laughs> that's funny. The 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 it it I saw that the Skirball Center had an exhibit on Houdini and uh some other oh that's a local gallery or uh yes. I don't know what you call it museum. And uh they they I'm trying to think of how how this was it was there were multiple mu- magicians. It wasn't just about Houdini, but about essentially magic as performed in the vaudeville era. Mm-hmm. And when we think about the attire that Jensid, the, magi- the sorcerer, uh, wears, and that that Mickey, when he uh, takes on the sorcerer identity, wears, that attire was presented in this exhibit as the old kind of hokey outfit that a stage magician would use to adopt a an Eastern persona. And it would be very convenient because they'd have many, many voluminous sleeves for one to hide gadgets and tricks and things up inside. And then what I did not know was that the attire that Harry Houdini and some other other people wore, a tuxedo, was chosen not as we see it today as a grand piece of of, of clothing, but as something that any male in the audience would have been wearing, that it was... Right. Everyday clothing, for at least for people who, for theater goers. So
1: I will now dress in the everyday clothing of my three piece suit and tuxedo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and well, uh,
3: I, I didn't know this that apparently, um, originally Mickey being the sorcerer's apprentice was not the case. It was supposed to be Dopey, which oh, is, is right? part of part of the reason why the, the even though the uh, the character changed, the wardrobe is a little bit Seven Dwarfs esque.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, sure is. I work for a large um, entertainment company that is uh, (laughs) represented by a mouse and we just created some entertainment around, I think it's the 80th anniversary of Fantasia or something like that. And uh, from an entertainment magic and technology standpoint, there was so much aspirational uh, intent behind that film, what Walt wanted... (laughs) essentially smell-o-vision you know to light sulfur mm-hmm. and, and and bring flowers into the theaters to create fragrances for the flowers scene and and fantasy sound was the earliest commercial use of some cinematic surround application so there was just some very, very magical um presentation at least to the, theater goers at that time so it's cool yeah that's uh, fantastic. okay so why don't we move on to the final choice from our uh friend christian
1: uh yes my final choice is actually something that wasn't in the 1990s finally (laughs) and this one uh is a film that just came out in 2016 it's called doctor strange strange (laughs) (laughs) i love that movie (laughs) now This was such a thrill because I was, you know, obviously I was already in with him playing Sherlock Holmes. So then to go to Dr. Strains, I mean, duh, please, you already got me anyways. uh, Fantastic storyline. Skeptic becomes practitioner, the classic ruse and has to go to. Uh, a mystical country where things are all different and you have to be beaten down into a system where you can learn and practice one uh exercise at a time to learn the skills and you've got your magic books there right he gets the magic book out from the back that is forbidden yeah for as sure all these magic book has all of these magic books so he gets the forbidden object just like the necronomicon and everything else and he starts uh Uh, getting busy with it and then next thing you know he's got a living cape and he's learning how to take on and save the, the the whole world so i i not only is it colorful and you know growing up as a kid reading the comic books and going of course i want to be a magician i want to learn magic and wear cool capes and you know do things that impress people it takes me way back and and then you know having it not be a horrible movie was just a bonus did you feel like they captured the Doctor Strange of the comics? Well, to be honest,
0: I'm not a comic scholar. Okay, okay. Yeah, okay. neither... I'm not neither,
1: an authority. Neither am it. I, and I
0: certainly not on that character. Uh, mm-hmm. I know how happy I was with the film and then going to a comic store and just hearing a guy rag on it because they didn't... I, yeah. think, I Strange has so much of his identity that it's about being like eternal part of, part of his, I think the, the curse that goes along with being a sorcerer Supreme is the amount of, of uh karmic suffering that he has to absorb <laughs> throughout <laughs> his uh, career. And in the film, you know, there's a final scene where he gets basically murdered a hundred million times. We don't know how many times, it, uh, but this person was kind of complaining that there was components of his, his comic identity. Any comic book nerd is going to complain that the film didn't do everything that six decades of a comic uh, character uh, did. But um, I was just curious to hear about that. But from the magic part, uh, it was very satisfying to you.
1: Absolutely. It was yeah. visual. Yeah. Everything magic aspires to be is in that film. Magic in person aspires to be visual, colorful, engaging, uh, story-driven and awe-inspiring in, in just entrapping the person that you're doing the magic for, the audience, the person, the the, the television audience, the the entire world online. That's all you're looking for is storyline, color, magic, taking people to another place. You know, when I'm streaming David Blaine last year, Ascension in a hotel room while I'm trying to like, I'm supposed to be getting in the car to go somewhere um, I'm in the passenger seat, and I'm still like watching it to see the the buildup and the drama and the storyline of this trick. Um, that's basically, you know, that's the what everybody could possibly ever hope for in real world prestidigitation, stage magic, and sleight of hand.
0: Mm-hmm. Cool. Uh, are you you Michael is a big comic. Guy. I know Richard reads. It yeah. Better. You you was a Doctor Strange MCU fan.
2: Uh, I thought, I thought it was great. I, you know, one of the aspects that's really wonderful about Dr. Strange in particular is that, you know, he's a magician who breaks his hands or he's a, you know, a surgeon that breaks his hands and turns to magic. And just the idea of uh, a magician having this weird um, limited uh, you know, having to do magic with um, hands that tremble and having to master that I think is, is an interesting um, little aspect of his character that they captured really well is I, you know, I'm obviously not a magician and not a close-up hand magician either, and I can't imagine that that would be just for someone that does like you know uh, sleight of hand work. Um, like that aspect of Doctor Strange, I think is is really lost where you just see this. He really has to overcome a lot. Obviously, he can't go back to becoming a surgeon, but he can master it enough to you know conjure spells, and I think that. They did such a good job of him. You know, Marvel is not Marvel is not um, for want of characters who have huge egos that are brought down to size and have to rethink their lives. Certainly, <laughs> Iron Man for one. But I think that they did it really well with him. He comes off as such an asshole, and then uh, later on, he kind of continues to be an asshole, <laughs> which is super great and realistic yeah
1: yeah on the on, on the slide of had uh slide of hand magic front and the, the challenge of overcoming things real quick I wanted to add that there are there is and um, I can't pull out their names uh, unfortunately because it's been a couple of years since I've reviewed some of the material but there is uh, a blind magician who's in his 60s it has to be who's fantastic and he's gotten a lot of press. And I think he has a, a documentary on, on Netflix as well as being interviewed on the Tim Ferriss podcast, but I can't, you know, obviously you just type blind magician into Google. And it oh, yeah, gets... I saw
0: that. Yeah. that He's mostly c- c- card work, right?
1: Yeah. He does lots of card work. And then there is a sleight of hand magician who barely has hands. Um, I, and I think he, his name is, M- is mod. I'm not even. I'm gonna mess it up. So, anyways, the sleight of hand magician who doesn't have—he uh, has more like—he uh, he doesn't have fingers. He only has a couple different places, and he still does sleight of hand magic and kills and does shows and even has instruction uh, instructional videos on how you can learn to do magic as well as the guy who has less uh, fingers than you. Wow! <laughs> and <laughs> that is like one of those things that you know there's a, there's a number of different sleight of hand magicians and magicians out there who are have they love magic so much and they love performing and connecting with people that they've overcome even these these fairly drastic uh, situations so i just wanted to mention that real quick because we talk about that and it's mirrored in movies such as this
0: mhm i i think another element that i wish would have been incorporated into this film was the fact i learned that Doctor Strange was patterned after David Niven and I only wish Benedict Cumberbatch would have done a David Niven impersonation throughout the entire film (laughs) (laughs) including the thriller laugh Um, okay uh, Richard Michael I would say uh, you need to pull a rabbit out of a hat you need to do something amazing because uh, uh, Christian has really been outclassing you here so uh, your fourth choice is very important what do you got? well this is hard this is hard because um
2: jeff even though i know you are a novice to the um uh harry potter movies oh yeah
0: um
2: i know that you watched at least one of them recently within the last few months and i don't know if you watched more than one
0: i think i think i was watching the first one as uh jk rowlings was being canceled on the internet so (laughs) gotcha
2: uh, well, what we did is we needed a magic spell, and we chose, I guess, what it seems to be the most iconic spell from that um, uh, series of books and then also the series of movies, which is the Expelliarmus spell that Harry Potter um, uses, and it becomes like his signature spell. This, it's one that he uh, uses to disarm other wizards. And it seems to be the most important to him as someone that is fighting evil, but doesn't want to do anyone actual harm. And um, uh, he first uses it in this film, um, Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, where he learns it as like part of a dueling club. And uh, what is fascinating about the Harry Potter world and movies and universe and what have you, is that um, there's so much thought that's put into like these magic words and uh, that seems to be something that is kind of a, you know, be it very classical things like abracadabra or hocus pocus to kind of have the kind of the lame uh, things that people say to turn a fake wand into, uh, you know, uh, fake flowers. Um, there's a lot of just really intricate work that's done uh, within the movies to craft um, a world that very, um, that just utters these magic weird words all the time. And that combined with like a, a wave of the wand and the person actually having some sort of innate magic in them. And, um, you know, magic is, is very interesting. It's more than just reading books. It's more than just having a magic wand. It, it's also saying some, some incantation that, um, that one uses to create this thing. It's like this trigger to all these different things happening at the same time, whether it's uh like I said, um the wand, the wizard, and the magic spell. Saying this thing is important. And I think that the character of Harry Potter kind of holds on to it for so long because it he's one, he's good at it. But two, he's he's the hero of the stores. He's he's not you know, there are other times in the story where he's like, he uses other magic spells to hurt people and it really um, backfires on him and really kind of exposes, uh, he's going down a dark path for at least, you know, one or two movies or whatever, but he always comes back to this thing that is, it's like his catchphrase. It's like saying... um I don't know. It's clobber in time, basically, or like Hulk <laughs> smash, or <laughs> or Avengers Assemble. There's a thing that Harry Potter says. It's like, oh yeah, that's the thing that er- other wizards use, but it's not quite the same as as when it comes from him.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: The point where uh, Michael, I believe, in the was it the Battle of the is it the Seven Potters, is that the do I have the correct number on that. Um, yeah, yeah, where or something like that. Yeah, where there's all these different Harry Potters that have been magically created to try and get him. From his uh, parents' house to a, a different safe house, and um, they're able to find. If I remember correctly, the they're able to figure out which one is the real Harry Potter because he's the one who uses Expelliarmus. And that, yeah, of, that, his, that's that kind feels of a right. tip off. That's kind of a tip off. So it, not only is it a uh, his calling card, it winds up, up becoming to
0: some extent a uh, bit of a crutch.
1: <laughs> yeah. That's why funny is that
0: import- why is that important to you, Michael? That or why do you why do you observe that? Um is just because it's a compelling character trait for this person who is who didn't get into the business to hurt to hurt anybody? Is yeah, you, you know, he's yeah.
2: he's defined, he's 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 also defined by you know his opposite, you know, the 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 lead villain in it is um Voldemort, who kind of almost exclusively uses these um horrible, uh, killing curses and things. And even when Harry is faced against Voldemort, you know, when like their big final battles, he still can't say the thing. He can't, he can't, uh, utter a spell to kill anyone or to do anything. He utters this thing to disarm him, to take someone, to take this person's power away. And of course, through a lot of other Mishagas and, um, kind of, you know, going back to the very first thing that um, Christian said, you know, Harry Potter is quote the one in this movie where he's he has the power to come back from being dead and he has the power to have been the one that rejected, to be unkilled by Voldemort the first time and has the power of his wand uh, taking over another wizard's wand. You know, all of the things that he kind of has, he is the one in these movies. The thing that he still can't do is intentionally try to kill a person. He still tries to disarm them. And that ultimately is what, what Harry Potter is about. He's about saving the day versus, you know, killing the bad guy. Yeah. The bad guy dies anyway, you know, spoiler alert. What are you going to do?
0: Whoops. Are you a Potter fan, uh, Christian?
1: I wouldn't say a fan. I'm very familiar with it because uh, the occult community had to become a <laughs> attributed to it and the magic world, uh, Prestidigitation, the magic castle in, in Hollywood, etc also had to take it in mind because now the world finally came to them. The storyline had come to them where everybody in the world wanted to see magic. And as long as you put on a little Harry (laughs) Potter scarf, then they were going to book you for the next show. And it didn't matter if you were doing what, what, what type of magic you were doing, as long as you were doing it in a Harry Potter outfit, you would get booked for anywhere in the world. And so it was a, a, a good thing. And then you had people in the occult community picking it apart, going, OK, you know, I attended actual classes in secret occult organizations, organizations. that had focused on the uh, <laughs> Harry Potter <laughs> theme. And what 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 are, what's the downfall of this pop culture uh, phenomenon, as well as what is um, what what can we take from it that's a positive And one of those things is obviously outreach. If you're going to uh, be doing anybody wants to attend a esoteric mystery school, well, you're in luck because (laughs) there's still a lot of esoteric mystery schools out there in the Internet and the dark web is a great place to find them. But also connecting uh, what Michael was talking about with. Uh, Harry's disarming spell was interesting too, because uh, basically Harry's disarming spell is the akido of spells, right? Um, in the Chamber of Secrets, he uses hmm. you know, these magic words. Well, ab- and and you even mentioned uh, abracadabra. Well, abracadabra, um, the original creation of the word abracadabra was. Uh, oh, and I should go into the really quickly the reason why everything was spelled out and is a magic word a magical word, is because of the fact that it has the correct or the, um, the culmination of letters which mean or equal different numbers and different energies, whether zodiacal, planetary, etc., so that you are harnessing an actual force or power in a specific direction, right? So abrakala was uh, one of the original Hebrew forms of abracadabra, and Abrakala spelled out in Hebrew equaled five hundred and twenty-six. So therefore, that meant you were accessing the power of the word, right? Which which was originally used. Abracadabra was a magical word, actually used by by uh, whatever you want to call them, psychics, mag- magicians of old, to cure fevers and to ward off the plague. So really, in During (laughs) these These times, times. (laughs) we should have more abracadabra out in the world. (laughs) While you're socially distancing, maybe abracadabra a little bit more as well. Um, So there you go. There's a a link of how uh, magic spells work, Harry's disarming spell, and even the word abracadabra was something that was meant to heal and protect you.
0: Oh, dude, that's the coolest thing in the world. (laughs) <laughs> that's pretty awesome enlightenment that is so funny to think that uh, you know it's like let's say you've you're in the small town Kansas like where I'm from and there's a movie about sushi now everybody wants it and you're the only sushi chef in town but everybody's coming to you <laughs> and they want to have one role they're like there's a lot of other things now nah, we're just gonna we're just gonna get this one thing you're coming glad that <laughs> the mysterious far
1: east this yeah. delicious product
0: yeah we're glad they're here, but uh, we wish they would have came before, and maybe they could open up their palate to some other, to a broader range of tastes. So, well, uh, Christian, you've been a blast as a guest. Those, thank you so much for lending all your insight to this. What was it like to be a magician in Vegas for five years?
1: Well, technically, I wasn't. I was hanging out with magicians. I was doing oh, comedy right. in Las Vegas, but that's okay. I was doing um, magic act in the Cirque du Soleil show. Um uh-huh. so it yeah. all comes cool. about somewhere in my Forrest Gump resume. Um <laughs> In any case, chocolates. um yeah, it was fantastic. Uh uh I performed at the MGM Grand for a few years and uh was 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 there. And one of the best things, it was one of the best times of my life because in that period uh which was 2004, I was there from 2004 to 2007. Uh, so uh, three years. Okay. Um, and you hung out Vegas, it feels like it's a gigantic city, but it's really just one block of entertainment. And then the rest of the city, they actually have real jobs and lives. So um, what you have is the one block and of working entertainers on the strip. And what ends up happening is everybody hangs out together, everybody talks, everybody goes to picnics together. So you're always hanging out with Penn and Teller and Lance Burton and world's greatest magicians and comedians are all at the little party barbecue, because we don't have anybody else to hang out with. (laughs) And, uh, you know, we have a lot of stuff we want to brainstorm and, and create. So it was a one of the best periods of my life and i was very active there i got to perform six nights a week at the mgm grand get off only work for three hours and of that only do two six minute acts and then get off work at midnight and perform hip-hop uh occult hip-hop stuff downtown and in clubs for the rest of the night and then wake up and have another 20 hours off until i had to be at work again while i was uh you know, collaborating with a lot of great magicians and comedians and everything. So it was really one of my favorite times of my life.
0: Yeah, sounds great. Sounds great. Okay, so um, Mike and Michael and Richard are not about to have a good time of their life. They're not, because I'm just going to say, dudes, you got one point. You got the point for the craft. Um, so congratulations, but uh, also... I, I'm going
3: gonna, I'm gonna to be reporting you to your work that you did not Wait. choose
0: choose fantasia are you serious look i have have a strongly worded letter pre-written i will also say that fantasia is also is there a sleeper spell in harry potter because it puts you right to sleep outside of the sorcerer (laughs) oh my god oh come on it's it's the The music. music yeah you know that that um when fantasia premiered americans had not seen the nutcracker uh although they're hearing that music from it in fantasia the ballet had not prepared premiered in uh the US until i think 1944 at in san francisco somewhere so that's wild no nobody saw the uh, ostrich dancing with the alligator and thought oh this reminds me of <laughs> the nutcracker <laughs> they just heard this tchaikovsky stuff for the first time crazy that's so, incredible uh, Yeah, so uh, Richard and Michael, you each get uh, a point, um, but so does uh, Christian getting that point for The Craft. And I'm going to give the rest to him because they were um, a lot of fun. Uh, The Matrix being the movie that made (laughs) everyone buy a DVD player, uh, for sure. And The Ninth Gate, I got to go check that out. Uh, And i love me some off-screen homicides. And then Doctor Strange... So those are the Mount Rushmore's uh, for the Mount Rushmore of magic in the movies. Fantastic. Thank you so much for being on our show, Christian. Uh, where, remind our audience uh, where peoples can find you.
1: You can find me on Facebook at Christian Fitzharris. Uh, I'm a public page as well as on my website, bottleburner.com and uh, the scholar ninety three. SoundCloud has a bunch of esoteric, bizarre, hip hop stuff as well. And then you just can type in Christian Fitzharris and wander down the weird rabbit hole uh, of which people end up when they search my stuff. So (laughs) a a real pleasure. Thank you so much, Michael and and Richard and Jeff. Oh man, thank you. Yeah, absolutely.
0: All right. So this has been the Mount Rushmore of Magic in the Movies. I, as always, am Jeff. I'm Richard. I'm Michael.